we're continuing our moments series, and this is all about how we um, have a wonderful counselor. And I don't know about you, but um, I've been a pastor for 20-some years, and between me and you, we all need counseling. We need a wonderful counselor. And the Bible says in Isaiah 9, right? 9, verse 2 and 6, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, oppressing him. But he will be called, what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when you think about this, Isaiah is living 850 years before Christ and is prophetically declaring who Jesus will be when he comes on, and, and what will be later known to you and me as Christmas time. That, that when Jesus comes, he is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And as I think about this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and eight days later, he goes to Jerusalem. His mother, Mary, uh, obviously, she just felt like, man, riding a donkey, nine months pregnant, all those miles wasn't enough. Now let's take another journey to Jerusalem. I'm, of course, being facetious. Um, I doubt she wanted to do that, but the law of Moses required for all Hebrew boys to be presented at the temple. And to, on the eighth day, be circumcised according to the law of Moses, the covenant of Abraham, and to get their name. So Jesus didn't actually get a name until the eighth day. The angel told Mary what his name would be and what she would call him, Emmanuel and Jesus, Savior. Jesus meaning Savior, Emmanuel meaning God with us. But on the eighth day, they're walking into the temple and before, a few weeks ago, I talked to you about Simeon. Now I'm going to talk to you about a woman named Anna. There's two people that meet Jesus at the temple. One was Simeon. Simeon had been waiting his whole life to meet Jesus. He was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would meet him. And then Anna is another one. And Anna's interesting because in Luke chapter 2, that's going to be our text today, verse 36. It says, there, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, or Fenuel, of the tribe of Asher, one of the tribes of Israel. She was very old. Everybody say very old. very old. I want you to know God can use you no matter what age you are. Are you with me? God did not call you to retire in his kingdom. You with me? That's an American concept, not a biblical one, right? That, that, that God will use you until your last day, your last breath. And so Anna is very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Giving you a little history. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to Mary and Joseph at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and, and spoke about the child. So she prophetically begins to declare things over Jesus about who this child will be to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So uh, important things for us to know because when you read that, you go, okay, so what does that mean? Well, Anna means grace. Her name means grace. Gift of God, grace of God. And so really what, what God is declaring is grace is coming. Grace is coming. How many of you are happy for grace? Thankful for grace. 
I'm thankful for grace. Fenuel means the face of God. So here's Grace, the daughter of the face of God. And Asher means grace again. It's the fifth tribe of Israel. And five is the number of grace. So God is reiterating just in the name of the person that met her, the history of the person that met Jesus. Are you, are you with me today? God can, God can use all of that. And he's using all of her history to say, hey, the face of God, the face of grace has come to you today. That's part of the Christmas message is that the face of God, the second week of Advent we're in, the face of God has come to you today. And, and Anna being very old, what's interesting is she's a prophetess. You don't hear that very often in the Bible. There's only about three other women that are called prophetesses. Now there's people that prophesy, but, but a prophetess was one that functioned in the office of a prophet, spoke the words of God to the people of God. You hear that about Miriam, Moses' sister. You hear that about Deborah, one of the judges of Israel. You hear that about Hilda. And then you hear that about Anna. And I think that's remarkable because Anna, here's what I want you to see. Anna had lived alone for almost 80 years. And in that time, she could not inherit property. So she probably, very likely, had to live off of what people gave her if you think about it, because the Bible doesn't say she had any kids, no sons to take care of her. So I want you to think about Anna's life for a minute. I want you to think about maybe the fact that she got married and was probably hoping for some children. Maybe she got married and was hoping to have a long life with her husband. And all of a sudden, all that is lost because he dies. And a lot of people might get tripped up by that. And it's okay if you do. We've all been there in a lot of ways when we encounter things that are difficult and wonder, God, why? And where are you in all of that? But here's what's interesting about Anna. She, I think, asked the question, maybe my pain has the potential to be a platform to display the power of God. Maybe my pain has the potential to be a platform to display the power of God. She flips the script a little bit because instead of getting, saying, oh, I got God hurt or I got church hurt or I got, and all those things can, you know, whatever. She actually goes to church all the time. From that moment, she starts going to church all the time. The Bible says she never left. Are y'all with me? That, that, that she never left, that, that she didn't go, God, why? Or God, where are you? But she never Left that she fasted and prayed and worshiped at the temple. I don't know about you, that challenges me in a major way. Because I do not always respond to things the way that God would want me to. Right? And yet this woman, facing excruciating loss and an uncertain future, and, and one that did not look good for people like her in that time in world history, says, you know what? Maybe my pain can be a platform. Maybe it has the potential to be a platform to display the power of God. I'm going to stay in, I'm going to dig in, and I'm going to let God do something. Are you with me? I want you, I want you to hear this, church, because, because 
here's the here's the reality i don't know if anna had insight into the reasons behind her pain and maybe that wasn't even a question for her it can be for some people but what we do know from the bible is that anna got insight into the things of god and into the savior that's what we know she got insight into and a lot of us will spend time looking back when, and miss what God has forward for us. Are you following me? And, and I don't want to diminish what's behind you. I just want to motivate and inspire you for what he has ahead of you. And so, so what she gets is childlikeness. Because the more childlike we are in our faith, the more ability we will have to live with the privilege of mystery. That, that, that some things, mystery is a privilege that we carry. And once we get to the other side, we'll know fully as we are fully known. But on this side, there's a mystery and there's a privilege that we get to carry with it. And if you really, really want to know, she rested in the sovereignty and care of a loving Heavenly Father. And it's our ability to live with mystery that will speak to our childlikeness. And here's, here's, the, here's the reality. Our resistance to mystery is resistance to childlikeness. And childlikeness is what opens dimensions into the kingdom of God. Because he says, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That there's something about faith and about trust in God in every season, in every circumstance, in every challenge, in every difficulty that, that, that enables you to access a level of grace. Grace for your situation, grace for your challenge, grace for your pain, grace for your victories, grace for your wins. And if you, if you resist that mystery, then you won't be able to access that in the way that God wants you to. So Anna, I think at some point, probably gave up the pursuit of understanding and accessed peace that passes it anyway. There's a peace that passes understanding. Because I want to be honest with you, there's some things in life that whether you understand them or not aren't going to heal anything. But presence, his presence does. Are you with me? She knew, I don't have to have the understanding, I have to have the presence, so I'm not leaving the house of God. Is anybody out there today? She said, I think I'll just maybe do a little fasting, maybe do a little praying, maybe do a little worshiping, and, and I'll build that as a rhythm in my life. And, and, and something remarkable happens. She gets into the, the, the presence of God, and, and she finds grace for anything but grace. She did not have a grace-filled life in terms of her circumstance, but she did in terms of the presence of God in it. Are you following me? She, she, the only thing that she could control, and I want, I want our church to get, grab a hold of this, is her response. The only thing that she could control was not what happened, but how she chose to respond to what happened. And she placed herself, this I think is critical, she placed herself in a place of promise. Come on. She placed herself in the path of promise. She knew, okay, God's going to do something. God's going to do something. Come on. God's going to do something. And I'm going to stay here until he does something. 
but stay here until he does something. She never left, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Never left. I want to ask you, I want you to find the things that you will never leave. What are the things in your life that you will never leave? Because those things are your lines in the sand. Those things are the things that come hell or high water. No, this is what I'm committed to. This is what I'm committed to. No matter what, this is what makes up my life. This is what defines who I am. I'm not leaving God. I'm not leaving his word. I'm not leaving his presence. I'm not leaving his house. You'll find all kinds of people in the house of God. We're all in different places. I'm not leaving it if somebody hurts me, if somebody offends me. I'm in the house of the Lord. I know where I fit. I know where I'm placed. I know where I stand. Are you with me? There are certain things that if you don't know you won't leave, you will pursue anything. You will pursue anything if you don't know what you won't leave. Are you following me? Ruth went there. She said, I'm not leaving you, Naomi. And guess what? She found her promise. There are so many times in Scripture where people that picked the right things not to leave found what God had for them all along. And usually difficulty is an invitation for you to renegotiate what you won't what you won't leave. But are we glad that Anna was there because she's one of the witnesses of the of of Jesus Christ? The Bible says, let out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. So here we got, we got, we got the, we got the angels at his birth. There were no wise men yet. I don't know if you read the scripture. They weren't there. All, all, all these little scenes that you see, they're totally unbiblical. They're really cute, but they're not real. The Bible says when wise men came, Jesus was, they saw him walking around his mother. To the house. I know. I'm sorry. I just ruined Christmas for some of you. You're going to be throwing out wise men in your manger scene. Uh, they were there. The reality is that you had the shepherds. Listen, you had the shepherds. You had Simeon. And the third witness is Anna. She gets the privilege of saying, This is him. This is the God of all creation. This is the one that all the world has been pining for. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is Jesus. He is the one. I didn't have a child, but man, I get to show God's grace and mercy and blessing to somebody else's. That's what grace will do for you. You know when grace is operating in your life? When you can celebrate the victory of someone else that got something that maybe you didn't get to see on this side of heaven. That's when you know the grace of God is working. When you can say, man, it is well with my soul and I know that I can celebrate what God has done in that person's life. She was at the temple. She was at the right place. I want you to hear this. 77 years she had waited. Some texts say that she was a widow for 84 years. Think about that. Woman is really mature. Mature. 
And yet, she waits for the redemption of Israel. Church, we need a counselor. We need a wonderful counselor. The reason Anna is able to do what she does is because she had a counselor. She had the counsel of God. What do you think was happening when Anna was praying? You think she was doing all the talking? You think maybe God was downloading some things into her saying, stay here. Wait. He's coming. Wait. Wait. God, I've been waiting for like 70 years here now. Wait. I don't know about you, but after, after 10 minutes, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm like, okay, God, yep. Got things to do. Wait. 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 Do you know the testament of her life was waiting? The testament of her life was actually waiting. While everybody else was striving, Anna was waiting. See, waiting is the ultimate trust card. Waiting is going, God, I trust you so much that I don't feel the need to take it into my own hands and force it. I don't have to look for it. Waiting is going, I trust you completely, so I'm at complete rest knowing that you will fulfill your word. Man, that, nothing can shake you when you get to that place. Nothing. The Bible says of the counselor that he works with our mind, right? He counsels us in our mind. God didn't give us 2 Timothy 1.7. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power. Everybody say power. power. Come on, participate with me. Power, power. Love, love, and a sound mind. Come on. 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have the mind of Christ. Are you with me? You got a counselor. Romans 12.2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will a lot of times we don't know what to do because we haven't regenerated in the mind of Christ if we do then we'll know what his will is his good pleasing and perfect will you don't have to have an angel show up and tell you it's got to be this way if you're going to give birth to the son of God maybe then you have an angel show up he's already come that's not you or me Wonderful counselor. You know when Isaiah says wonderful, it means to be beyond comprehension. Difficult to understand. An astounding thing that causes intense amazement. He's wonderful counselor. He's not just average. He's not just sitting in a chair going, well, what do you think? No offense, I'm not knocking counseling. I'm just saying, I believe in it. But I'm saying, he's wonderful. He's the absolute best. It doesn't get any better. And here's the cool thing about our wonderful counselor. He doesn't have a 10-year wait list. He doesn't just take your, he, he takes all forms of insurance. He's there. There is no copay. The price is already paid. Uh-oh. As a cheesy pastor joke. <laughs> Counselor. The Hebrew for that word. One who speaks and urges direction of action and thought. Not just action. Doesn't just tell you what to do. 
tells you how to think. Hear me. Not one that just, he urges direction of action and thought. To be, to come to an informed, deliberate conclusion on a matter. To guard and care for. To fix his eyes on. When you put all of the, that Hebrew word is about three paragraphs long. We miss so much when he says, wonderful counselor. When you put it all together, an advisor who speaks and urges certain direction of action and thought based on his determined plan and intended purpose for your life, caring for us as one who has his eyes completely fixed on you. The wonderful counselor is intimately acquainted with you. He's not looking at anything else but you. He's not looking at anything else but your situation. And it actually implies that there's a readiness and a will to act on your behalf. That he is informing your thoughts, your mind, your actions according to his intended purpose. And it will amaze and inspire you. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to tell you, there's a lot of people this time of year who don't have a lot of peace. You get peace through righteousness. The fruit of righteousness, Isaiah 32, 17. Just put them up quick. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be what Anna experienced. Quietness and confidence forever. I don't got to strive. I don't got to defend myself. I don't got to talk about it. I know. A lot of people don't experience peace because they're outside of righteousness. There's peace through through trust. Isaiah. Notice how Isaiah has a lot to say about the counselor and peace. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind or thoughts are steadfast or fixed on you. Because he trusts in you. Keep means that I will keep in a, God will keep you in a secret hidden place. Nothing can touch you. No one can find you. He's got, he's watching and guarding over you. That's what it means. He will keep, he will watch, guard, and hide you. In peace, shalom, in completeness and wholeness for all that you need. Because your mind is steadfast. Steadfast is really, really important. It means that I completely rely on. I completely lean against. You know this cup? Just show you this beautiful Hope Point mug. It does not strive to lean on the table. All of the pressure and all of the weight is on the table. What steadfast means is that my life is so reliant on Jesus. I don't even feel the weight of it. He will keep me in wholeness. He will guard and hide me in wholeness as I totally lean on Him. Totally rest on Him. Totally lay on Him. Because I trust. You know what? The, The word trust here means that I know that I would fall so I lean. The word trust actually means to fall. Kind of like trust fall. 
It means that if I'm walking under my own strength, trying to work it out in my own ability, I'd fall. So knowing that, I trust. I put everything I have on a reliance so that I don't fall. Are you with me? See, trust is knowing who you are without him. It's knowing who I am without him. And I would fall. Big time. But guess what? If I'm leaning on him, I can never be shaken. You can never be shaken. Peace through obedience. Isaiah 48, 18. There he is again. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If we obey the commands of God, rivers are, are refreshing. They're life-giving. Waves? Constant. If you ever watch the ocean, the waves just always come, don't they? You've never been to the ocean and never seen a wave not come on the, on, on the shore. Right? Isaiah is saying the peace will always return. It will always be constant if you follow the commands of the Lord. I love that the, that the waves wash out, wash away, erase everything that I write on the sand. Everything that I've done in my life, the moment I decide to say yes to Jesus, to, to trust Jesus, His peace just washes it all away. All away. Like the waves. I love this one. Peace through Jesus. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed. If his blood is priceless, then his peace, the peace that bought it is endless, indomitable. It will always win. If his blood, blood is priceless, he paid for your peace as your wonderful counselor. And he counsels you to stay in it. If it's been purchased, then it can be owned, church, not just rented. If he purchased it, I don't know about you. When I purchase something, I own it. I don't take it back. Say, oh, my time using it's up. That's renting. Jesus bought it. So you can own it. Not just rent it. You're not in a rental relationship. You own it. We got receipts, as the young kid says. We got receipts. What's his receipts? The receipt is the blood of Jesus Christ. We know what happened on that cross. That's our receipt. We know what was bought. You know, I loved, I used to love that show, Extreme Home Makeover, because it made everything nice and clean. But they'd give people new houses. They'd never seen them. And they'd have all this stuff in the house that was particular to them. Do not allow Satan into your house. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Can you imagine if they had walked into that house and the people that built it said, we can't go into this room. Well, no, my provision is in that room. My provision is in that room. Jesus did an extreme home makeover. And you got the enemy keeping you out of one of the rooms in your house. Uh-uh. That's where the provision is. You allow God to speak to that. The last thing is Jesus, our wonderful counselor, gave us another one. The Holy Spirit. Come on. He said, I'll send you the counselor. He'll be with you forever. He'll lead and guide you into all things. 
He'll convict you in regards to sin and righteousness. What did we just read? That in righteousness there is peace. So when I have the Holy Spirit and I'm listening to Him, I always have peace. Are you with me today? I want you to bow your heads. I want the counselor to come to you today. Mighty God, everlasting Father. There might be people here that have never, like Anna, met Jesus. You can know him today. I'd like to invite you to say this prayer with me. Many of our church will say it with you. But if you're saying it for the first time at the end, I'll ask you to raise your hand. And all heaven will celebrate that you accepted the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Would you say this prayer with me today? Say, God, forgive me of my sins. I turn to you. Ask you for your forgiveness. Ask you to cleanse me. I give my life to you, Jesus. I make you my Lord and Savior, Jesus. You paid a price I couldn't. And I thank you for that. When you rose again, you gave me abundant and eternal life. I receive it today. Commit to follow you. Thank you for being my wonderful counselor my prince of peace. In Jesus' name. You said that prayer, you meant in your heart. Would you just raise your hand right now so I can celebrate with you and others? Thank you.